What's up, everybody? It's your boy Juju Green, aka Straw Hat Goofy, your movie guy, and you guys are listening or watching Get Wrecked with Straw Hat Goofy. I'm sitting here with Kingsley Benadir. How's it going, my man? Yeah, man. I'm good. How you doing? I'm sitting here talking to you. It's fantastic. Thank you it's so fun. much for coming on to the podcast. Well, my pleasure, man. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's <laughs> you nice you sound a little tired. You good? No, good. no, I'm not. I've had a good sleep, and um, yeah, I've been up for a while. I feel good. My voice is just. I don't know. I maybe. mean, I bet you've been doing this circuit for like a good little minute. I've been right? talking a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking from the wrong place, so my voice is just going a bit down by I'm so sorry. I'm going to make you talk a little bit more. I'm, I love talking. <laughs> just shut me up. If no, I'm well. gone. Wake up, Juju. Time to go to work. <laughs> All right. Can we talk about it? Wake up, I get it, I get it, I go. With everyone saying I'm up next. I'm a fault that the vocals are gold that making the haters so upset My life is a movie the way that I roll They saying I'm goofy but baby you know I'm making everybody upset Cause we the best how we get wrecked and I know you guys don't know i don't know unless you're living under a rock i'm gonna list some of the accomplishments and things that kingsley has been in because honestly i have a list right here because i don't want to get this wrong you were gravic in marvel's secret invasion was you were recently ken in barbie yep. uh you were also malcolm x in one night miami direct mm -hmm. miami directed by regina king mm -hmm. and now you're playing bob marley in bob marley one love mm -hmm. like dude you've been just racking these things up over the last couple of years like what is this like just kind of going back to back to back I mean, it, uh, when I hear you say it like that, uh, I, to me it feels like you know five, six years of you know like a, of, it feels like a longer period of time. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been lucky, man. I've some, had some nice jobs, and um, yeah, yeah. they've all been they've all been different and and fun in their own ways. That's really good. It's very diverse, like a lot of variety when it comes to, like to you stretching yourself as an actor for sure. Now. We don't get into like you as an actor and everything, but I want to kind of like dive deep into uh, what the reason for this show is, right? It's called Get Wrecked, which means mm -hmm. like, you know, usually with people like us who are movie fans, there's like that one movie that's like our favorite movie of all time mm -hmm. or that movie that altered our brain chemistry and kind of became the building block for who we are today. Yeah. Do you have a movie like that? As it relates to wanting to be an actor? Yes. I guess, mm, yeah, I do. I, I, I remember... Um, I remember 2000 and it must have been 2003 or 2002 mm -hmm. going to the cinema uh, to see in America. And I remember going, not knowing what I was going to see. I was just going to meet um, meet some people there and they said, we got a film. And I, I sort of reluctantly uh, went. And um, Jim Sheridan's in America. And I remember watching it and just being just absorbed yeah, in the yeah. story and, and Jaiman's performance and the performances of the the kids in the movie. And I just remember Paddy Considine and Samantha Morton and their relationship. I was just in, there was just mm -hmm. something really um, relatable or what, what, whatever it was. Right. Um, <clears throat> and I remember different points in the movie, just feeling that thing in your throat. Yeah, the good feeling. <laughs> well, I didn't think it was good at the time, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I was feeling something. Mm -hmm. And Jamin had some moments when he gets sick in the film. I just remember again, it was like an emotional roller coaster. And then when Paddy says bye to Frankie at the end, mm. I was 
gone mm. and I'm 16 and I didn't I'd never cried and <laughs> I'd never cried in a <laughs> was movie. Was the first movie you cried at? I think so, yeah. yeah. I remember when I was young young the BFG made me cry like when I was 4 or 5. BFG. Yeah. <laughs> but I can't even remember that film too too well. But mm. yeah, it was that. And yeah, and I remember there were 10 years where I'd, I'd watch it two or three times a year mm. and um it's just a film that's always stayed with me. It had a really, uh, it had a really big impact on me. Um, yeah, just, uh, just emotionally. And then uh, obviously followed Paddy Considine and Samantha Morton and Jam, and I was lucky enough to work with on King Arthur. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just ended up catching up with all of their work, and yeah, so I say in America. I think that's like very ironic because in America, right? Like you as an actor, like I, you've become a part of this list that I like to call like the black catfish. Whereas, mm. like, a lot of us American, African-Americans, like, we see you in all these type of films, and we don't know your English until you Talking start talking. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, are you aware? How often are you made aware of the fact that people don't know that you're English? Some, some guy come up, come up to me yesterday, uh, young, young British guy, mm. black British guy, and he went, you're not American? <laughs> and I was like, no. It happens at home. <laughs> he was like, I thought you was American. And I was like, why did you think I was American? And then he pointed to the Bob Marley poster, and then mm -hmm. I was like, why would you think that Bob Marley <laughs> was that? America? I was like, this kid's just confused. Um, yeah. But I was like, no, no, I grew up in Kentishtown, and I still live here, and London's my home. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, see, okay, so I'm glad you said that, because now we can segue like, into Bob Marley, and like your accent in that is so authentic. Like I was blown away. You and Lashana's, like, the fact that you guys got that down so well, um, is it? Kind of like, what is the gap from going from your regular way of speaking and learning, like how to tackle that Jamaican accent? Because I imagine, like as an American, it'd be harder for me. But was it difficult for you? Like, what was the training like? Yeah, it was the most. Uh, it's a it's a language, really. You mm -hmm. know, it's um, it was the 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 authenticity of the movie was something that we spoke about. Mm -hmm. uh, the heads of the studio, Paramount, everyone at Paramount, Ziggy, the whole Marley family, Ray. Before we started, before there was a green light, there was a, a, a very serious conversation about authenticity mm -hmm. and making sure, uh, or just making sure we were all agreed on the fact that the way Bob spoke yeah. um, may not be clear to everyone outside of Jamaica. But if we're going to do this, we need to do it properly. Mm. I can only do it if we're going to do it like this. And we have to honor how Bob spoke. And when he was talking to Jamaicans, it was different, and you know a lot of the interviews that we have of him on YouTube are, you know, they're short and and uh, they don't necessarily give you the full picture of Bob right. when he's in full right. swing, you know. And, and Jamaican patois is, it's a language. And I was coming into this movie going, so this is a foreign language film with no subtitles, and I That's don't speak the at. language. Yeah, and yeah. I don't speak the language. So what would I do if I had to make a French movie mm. in eight months? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's an interesting way to look at it. It's like you a get, foreign language film. Yeah, you get to work and you go, I had a lot of help. And it wasn't a dialect coach. It was a language team that we had in place. We, yeah. had, uh, we had four specialists in Jamaica. I had my own Jamaican friends and family coming yeah. to my flat for, you know, hours and hours and weeks and weeks mm -hmm. at the beginning. And we were transcribing Bob interviews and we were... It, it it was the it was the bulk of the work. It was really 95% of the process. Um, and it went on to the last day that, you know, you know, seeing my all, all of the language I spoke in the film was written in uh, Frederick Cassidy's um, 
breakdown of Jamaican Patois. Okay, so he wow. raps Jamaican Patois using the English alphabet. Mm. And so if you read my script, you wouldn't know what it said. <laughs> I like little notes know. on it and everything. Yeah. Just like, whoa. Yeah. It's like but, a... then, but then there's like how Bob spoke as well. Bob, mm. Bob traveled and he picked up words from the states and he picked up words from the uk and right. there's a lot of things that bob says that jamaicans don't say right okay so it was it was about finding the balance um mm. but my feeling was always that you 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 don't need to understand everything mm. that bob says because he's speaking from such a place of feeling and and uh, as long as you understand the emotion of the scene yeah we're all good i was know? i was just about to say that because like it was funny when you say like foreign language film because i remember i believe it was uh city of god not City of God, but I love that film, yeah. absolutely. But it was um, recently uh, the director of uh, Parasite when he won okay. his Oscar. Yeah. And he said, like, the language barrier is not a barrier at all. As long as, like, you get the emotion of it, yeah. then you get that. And, like, you know, sometimes watching the film, I was like, I don't know what Bob is saying because I don't speak that. Yeah. But I got what he was saying, if that makes you sense. You always feel it. You can always, like, yeah. feel it. And so I never really felt lost and what was going on despite not having like you know heard Great. those type of things before yeah and you understand what i've said by listening to what shana lashana says in response mm, yeah. you know so it's uh you know it was a really a, a delicate balance of, right. of finding it but we never we never wanted to whitewash anything we never wanted to like simplify mm -hmm. anything it was like how would bob say this right. if bob was in this situation right now mm. what would he say mm. and how would he say it and that's how we're saying it that's and good. that's it you know, yeah. and because Sadella sent me hours and hours of Bob interviews from over the years that you can't find on YouTube or anywhere. Mm. So I've been listening to him and I know how he'd say most things, you know, in a lot right. of situations. Right. So I had all those stored up. So if, any, if there was ever a time where someone couldn't work out how Bob could mm. say it, I'd be like, he'd say it like this. And if you don't believe me, listen to listen this. Listen to this. Um, so it was great. And, th and the film is, is, is littered with, uh, um, really beautiful moments where Bob's saying things that I'd heard him say really mm -hmm. early on and we've managed to get into the film so I feel really part pleased. of that because you kind of was like hey I remember him saying this yeah, and you got to yeah, help put that yeah. in there. and Neville was there as well Neville Garrick was Bob's close friend and yeah. an artistic director and he remembered a lot of how Bob would say things and you'd always hear Neville shout out yeah, you know yeah. no my Bob would say it like this so try it, try it like that so um, it was a real uh, community mm. you know it's to, be dope. to create to find Bob for me was involved everyone, mm -hmm. um, which is really unique, you know, that yeah. might not happen again. That's know? incredible. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So I want to talk about like, you know, your childhood and like kind of like in relation to like your interactions with Bob Marley music or just like his persona, his like aura, because I remember for me, like my core memory of Bob Marley is like I grew up in Compton. So mm -hmm. oh, I would wow. go to swap meets all the time, you know, shop for clothes. And there was always this one spot that was just like, filled with bar, Bob Marley, like paraphernalia, mm -hmm. memorabilia, mm -hmm. merch, clothes. And so my first core memory is seeing this like dread-headed man in the green and the mm -hmm. yellow and the orange, like all these colors. And then the music was always going. So mm -hmm. whenever I thought of Bob, I think back to that moment in my childhood. Do you have any core memories like that? You know, it's really, you know, I'll keep it mad simple. I, I almost can't remember um, because I've spent so much time with him over the last two years. Mm. But I don't think it was as much as I thought, you know? Mm. I think I thought I knew him like everyone feels like they know Bob. Everyone's right. connected to him in some way, but we just know a little bit of his music and some more than others. And right. um, I know his famous songs, but when I started digging into the albums and listening to him and talking to his family and friends, I was like, "Raw, I know nothing at all. Mm. You know, I don't know anything about this man. And the thing that 
I really, really found out was that Bob was Bob was from the ghetto. You know, he was mm. a he was a ghetto man, and, yeah. and he found music and and God, and 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 that's where he 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 felt connected and felt safe, and and uh, he dedicated his life to music. And man, worked. You know, he yeah. he he put everything into he put everything into those albums. You know, he yeah. really lived for it. So when I look back and I go, what was my relationship with Bob? Yeah, I would have heard him in um, at Cart Hill Carnival. You know, I've been going to a carnival since I was three four years old my first memories would be i've just i've always known who bob is in mm -hmm. that kind of way that we all have right um but i certainly remember the first six weeks of preparation and i was working through all the books and calling the family and talking to ziggy and Stella and everyone and i was like oh wow i know nothing yeah. you know i know nothing um so it was amazing that the first six months i absorbed so much information and I met all you know people Bob grew up with and his friends who knew him before he was famous right. like Lego and you know and Lenny Dredd and Desi and um so it was uh yeah it was um it was full on and and um again I found Bob yeah. with his friends and family you know they were able to share with me stories and memories that you can't find in books yeah um so yeah, that's great. And a uh, final question, because I believe you only have a little bit of time left. You're in a Best Picture nominated movie, Barbie, as mm -hmm. Ken. Did you ever think that you would be able to say that sentence? Like, I'm in an Oscar nominated Best Picture movie playing Ken. Like, how does that feel? Oh, well, you know, when I read Barbie, <laughs> when I read Barbie, I went, who are they giving money to make this? <laughs> this is mad. I mean, like, I read it and I went. This is my cup of tea, but right. I don't like my feeling was it was one of the best things I'd ever read. Yeah. And you might not read something this good for another five, six years. Mm -hmm. So enjoy it and try and get involved. Yeah. Um, so it's amazing to, to see, you know, how Greta's put the whole thing together and it's had an amazing reception and yeah. Um, and good for her, you know. She's yeah. she's uh she's incredible. Um she's an incredible person and she's an incredible artist mm -hmm. and she deserves all the success that, mm -hmm. you know, that's come. Um but yeah, it's, it was something that I'm, I feel very grateful to have been a part of, you Thanks, know, man. to do fun stuff and yeah. to do comedy, you know, slap, slapstick. Yeah, 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 yeah. You was killing it, man. Thank well, you, bro. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about Bob Marley One Love, man. And My pleasure, man. Everything. It's been nice incredible. to talk to you. Nice it's to a great, you. great start to the day. I know, right? Well, yeah. I'm glad I got to open up, be the yeah, opening man. act for your Bob. <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. It was great. All nice. right. What's going on, guys? You are listening to the Get Wreck Podcast with Straw Hat Goofy. Thank you so much for supporting this page, this podcast, wherever you're listening or watching this on. Really appreciate you guys blowing up all the episodes. We are here yet again, and we have a really special episode for you guys today. This week, Bob Marley One Love came out in theaters, and we will be interviewing Kingsley Benadir, who plays Bob Marley in the movie, as well as the director, Renato Marcus Green. So we got a really good interview portion of this video. But before I do that, because I might just kind of put that interview earlier in the video or in the podcast or whatever, uh, so you guys can just kind of get that out the way. But what I want to do is I want to talk about some of the big news that came out this week. There was a lot, okay? There was a ton. Uh, we got Fantastic Four cast updates. We got... Deadpool 3, we got X-Men 97, we got possibly the worst superhero movie to ever exist in Madame Web. I saw it, wish I didn't. And then just right now, I'm still in the clothes. Yesterday, I watched The Last Airbender live action from Netflix, so I will give you my quick non-spoiler thoughts on that for the first episode. We're going to get into all that, so thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. Until then, 
drop that needle, Charlie Curse beard. Wake up, Juju. Time to go to work. <laughs> All right. Can we talk about wake up? I get it, I get it. Wake up, I get it, I get it, I go With everyone saying I'm up next It's not my fault that the vocals are gold I'm making the haters so upset My life is a movie, the way that I roll They saying I'm goofy, but baby, you know I'm making everybody upset Cause we the best, how we get wrecked And I know We gonna get wrecked, we gonna get wrecked 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 Nice. I, I, I'm still trying to get over the fact that I have an actual theme song. But anyway, there is a lot of news to talk about. I just want to like get some of like the big stuff out the way first. Let's talk about that Deadpool 3 trailer that premiered at the Super Bowl. Now, number one, we knew that Logan was going to be part of Deadpool. We knew this, right? It was just like in what capacity we knew it was going to be rated R. Like what was that dynamic going to be like? And when it came to that trailer, we just wanted to see Hugh Jackman again, right? That's all we wanted to see. And then having him like finally interacting outside of that like cute little post or mid credit scene from Deadpool 2, like that's what we all really wanted to see. But we were not expecting just how like we knew this was gonna happen, but we did was not expecting how tied in to the Marvel Cinematic Universe that Deadpool was going to be. Obviously, he's a very meta character. He's someone who inherently like can poke fun at Disney, and he has like the leeway to kind of say the things that most Disney film characters can't. And you know, weird. Deadpool is now a Disney film character. That's kind of weird to say. But the fact that we got the TVA playing such an important role that we saw in Loki, and now playing this role in Deadpool, we're like, okay, he's here. Like having seen the scene where Deadpool is looking at scenes from the Avengers and saluting Captain America. I was like, okay, I'm in. And then the trailer reminds you that it's rated R because he's shooting TVA members in the head and there's blood and he's like banging their heads on rocks and he's putting knives in their throats. And you're just kind of like, oh, okay, we got a rated R flick in the Disney MCU now. And that was like really, really cool to see. Uh, some of my favorite moments from that trailer, like obviously like just those, those references, but seeing the 20th Century Fox logo in the background as he fights in the snow when he does that super insane like like gun reload moment. Like we saw set photos before of the 20th Century Fox logo, which is why I kind of like they kind of like pushing off of not reporting on Deadpool leaks and stuff like that because at this point it's really starting to spoil the plot for me so i've saved myself just enough to like not be spoiled by anything right but seeing that logo on the back and knowing that jennifer garner is coming back as electra and then also in the trailer we see pyro pyro from x-men to x well, x2 x-men united seeing that character now with those type of confirmations, we know that we're going to be seeing more characters that we were seeing in the Fox universe. And I guess the new line cinema, I think Daredevil's new line. I can't remember if it was Fox or not. But seeing those characters again within this Deadpool movie and then obviously Logan's coming back, there's going to be a lot of kind of like farewells to those characters, if I should say. Uh, like the official goodbye of the Fox Mike Marvel universe. And then eventually it will tie into the larger MCU as a whole because the TVA is just looking at this as a different timeline. So really excited to kind of see that. But then the biggest reveal is that the movie is not called Deadpool 3. It's called Deadpool and Wolverine. And that is so smart because not only do you get a movie that just with its title says, this is an X-Men movie. This is us introducing a classic Fox like Marvel character into the mcu and putting him in the title front and center that's really really cool and obviously like you know deadpool like we love deadpool putting deadpool and wolverine i think it's genius 
And that just says like all the whole while that this is going to be like a buddy comedy. They're both headlining. It's a double headlining event. It's not like Deadpool and Friends, which I believe was one of the titles that was like, you know, they put up for registry or whatever. But no, it's Deadpool and Wolverine. And they're giving Wolverine that equal billing, which I love it. I love it. There's still some questions about like which Wolverine is this? Obviously, it could be a variant. It could be this. We don't know if it's going to be the Wolverine right after the Wolverine where he gets his suit because he's in his classic suit here. Or if it's like the Logan, like right before things went to shit in Logan. So we don't know, but I'm really excited to see that. So the Deadpool 3 trailer, it's all the rage. Everyone's talking about it. But then days after that, just like maybe like two days after that, we got a casting announcement for the Fantastic Four in a Valentine's Day card, no less. <laughs> that was that was good. That was really good. And I believe like I scrolled past it because, you know, Marvel likes to post things on their Instagram from the movies, from the comics, from the TV shows, all that stuff. So you see that and you just scroll past it. I know I did. And then I just decided randomly to look at my uh, hidden request messages on Instagram, those DMs and stuff. And somebody just had the message, ah, like one A, three H's. And then I said, well, what's he saying ah about? And then he sent me the link to it. And that's when I kind of decided to click on it and look closely and say, well, wait, this is an announcement. So seeing that we got the casting announcements, that it was really great. So for those of you guys who don't know, we have Pedro Pascal, who was confirmed to play Mr. Fantastic a while ago. And I believe that a sag after kind of like leaked that it was actually confirmed. So we got that as well. A lot of people don't really feel too good about it, but I think Pedro could pretty much do anything. He's not my first, second or third choice, but in Pascal, we trust. Uh, we have Vanessa Kirby playing the Invisible Woman, which I knew about that for a minute. I might put that story in a like Instagram subscription or something like that and just keep it super private. So if you want to subscribe, pay $4 to hear the story of how I knew Vanessa Kirby was Invisible Woman before everybody else. But anyway, uh, so Vanessa Kirby is Invisible Woman, a.k.a. Sue Storm. Joseph Quinn is the Human Torch, which I know that was on nobody's. Well, it was on people's radar, but I think a lot of people were pulling for like a Dakri Montgomery or a uh, Paul Mescal, like, or Zac Efron. Like, I know I was on the Zac Efron as Human Torch train for sure. But uh, Joseph Quinn, like, I loved him as Eddie. Eddie is my favorite Stranger Things character ever. Uh, he's got a lot of, like, upcoming projects that I think he's going to he's gonna be able to turn people around on. Um, you know, I just find it funny how people were kind of simping over Eddie, but, like, now that he's Human Torch, somebody who's designed to be simped over, people are like, oh, I don't really see it. He's not hot enough. But, you know, Eddie was a different type of, hot you know he was a nerd and just kind of like an outcast and things like that but joseph quinn as the human torch aka johnny storm really really liking that and then we have evan moss backrack as the thing now he was the rumors started really swirling during the emmys and obviously like he just won his emmy for the bear and so marvel does this thing where they kind of like scoop up people who've had like a bunch of awards buzz or had just won an award and I haven't seen much of the bear. I've maybe only seen maybe five episodes or something like that. I know I've seen him as micro in the Punisher series, which also begs the question, how, if Daredevil is a continuation, right, into, like, the new MCU when we get into Daredevil Born Again, and that implies that all those characters are now canon within the MCU, that means there are two characters that look like Evan Moss Backrack <laughs> within the MCU. We have micro, and now we have the thing. Well, here's the thing see what i did there the thing is that the thing looks like i gotta stop saying that the thing looks like a rock man right we're gonna see a little bit of ebon moss in his human form but that's probably only gonna be like 10 percent of the movie so for the most part we're going to be seeing him in the mcu and beyond like as far as he's gonna be in it 
in this giant rock form. So he can still be micro, but then he can also be the thing. It's like the Sean Gunn with Rocket and Kraglin situation, right? We don't notice it, but we don't care because, you know, one, he's doing like a body thing, and then the other one, he's like doing his full like performance with his face, his mouth, and all that type of stuff. So even though that like is a little bit of a question mark, I'm still down with it. I think he he's a from what I've seen perfect thing already like super hard ass dude from yancey street heart of gold jewish i think he'll knock that out of the park so when it comes to this casting as a whole i would say that 50 50 there's two of them that i'm like perfect casting that would be Eben moss and vanessa kirby we're on board with that pedro pascal can do anything that he wants again wasn't my first choice so very curious how he's going to play the character and then joseph quinn again really love him but like he wasn't my first second or third choice either but obviously, he's a great actor. Um, loved him as Eddie. Again, favorite Stranger Things character of all time. And I'm really excited about that. But what I really want to talk about, just really, really quickly before we move on to the next uh, piece of the news, is that in Deadpool 3, the trailer, Deadpool and Wolverine, there's a moment where Deadpool is laying down on the ground. And to his left, or I guess to his right, there's a comic book. And then you look closely, it's a Secret Wars comic book. Secret Wars issue 5, I believe. And on that cover... It has Dr. Doom. It's, a, it's an issue about the X-Men, but on that cover, it has Dr. Doom on it, which is a hu he's a huge villain in Battle Wars. He's like the catalyst that makes the whole Secret Wars story go. We know that Avengers Secret Wars is coming, and so with these reveals of like Fantastic Four, Deadpool, X-Men are coming, they are definitely setting up who the real big bad of the MCU is and who the major players are going to be, and these major players are going to be the X-Men and the Fantastic Four. And the fact that Marvel ran through this within a week, it's genius. It's honestly like, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, speaking of X-Men, X-Men 97 trailer also came out and that was pretty damn good. Uh, I saw the trailer a while back when I went to the premiere for What If Season 2 at the Walt Disney Studios. Uh, it was really great. Uh, saw the trailer, was really loving the striking visuals of the animation. Looks very familiar, like the classic 90s animation that we got with the original series. But then you also, it, it's almost got like an archer feel. It's almost got like an anime feel to it, like the glares, the lens flares, things like that. The movements of some of the characters, right? It, it remains to be seen how the voice acting is going to be updated. But here, it, it really does look like a clean continuation, a modern continuation of that classic animated series. So I'm really, really with, I'm, re I'm with it, I'm with it. And there's so many things to like about it, right? Like one, Jean Grey is pregnant and there's a huge storyline because they show her pregnant in two different scenes. So you could say if you read those comic books, especially the Chris Claremont ones, maybe they're going with the Madeline Pryor storyline where Scott is with Jean Grey then after the Phoenix Saga because they did have the Phoenix Saga in the 90s cartoon and he thinks he's with Jean. She has a baby, but it turns out that that woman is a clone of Jean. And then when he finds out Jean's alive, he kind of abandons her. I wonder if they're going to adapt that storyline. I don't know. Seems like a really cool plot line to go down. And then we also get like looks at other like X-Men characters. Like Bishop has always been in the animated series, but he wasn't a main X-Men per se, right? So now he looks like he's part of the main team of the X-Men, which would be really, really cool for that uh, team dynamic. There's also one guy that I can't remember his name. He's like, he looks like a chameleon too. He looks like the chameleon. He's like bald, super white. Don't really know his name. We'll find out. But, you know, it, it just looks really cool. I'm with it. It was a short trailer. Uh, it was all about kind of like bringing the old to the new, but I was I was really feeling that a lot. So X-Men 97 came right after Deadpool and the Fantastic Four announcement. So they're really hitting hard on those like previously defunct Fox characters and like bringing them into the MCU proper, which is really, really great. Now, 
while the MCU was cleaning up their reputation after like their string of very, very mid to all right movies, uh, we've gotten probably one of the worst movie adaptations ever. And that was Madam Web. And I went to the premiere for this. And you know what? To be honest, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Um, one, because it's always great and an honor and a privilege to be invited to a movie premiere and like check out a movie before anybody else, especially when like people have seen your work and they want you to get they want to get your opinion on it. Uh, but I'm grateful for the fact that a lot of people had in their mind that if you go to a premiere, you have to give this movie a good review. And this was the perfect opportunity to prove that wrong. <laughs> because like the way my review style works especially if you guys have been following me for a while is like i try to say something nice even about the bad movies right i give you the full view of what i liked what i didn't like and then i would give you like an overall like at the end of the day this movie is good or i don't i didn't really care for it blah 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 blah, blah. it was hard for me to come up with something to like about this movie it was it was really hard and you know that when it gets to the point where a movie is so bad where i have more negative to say than positive that's the mark of a truly bad movie. I think I only liked one thing in that whole movie. Some people said they liked Dakota Johnson. Some people said that. I just liked the chemistry between the three girls, Sydney Sweeney, Celeste O'Connor, and uh, Isabella Merced. That's it. Uh, she has one good funny scene, Dakota Johnson, just one. But that's all I can muster good about this movie. There's nothing good about this movie. We're talking, and I don't want to get into – maybe I can get into spoilers. This is my podcast. I can get into spoilers. And it's, it's Saturday. By the time this comes out, probably you will have or will not have seen it. Or chances are you've probably seen the reviews and decided not to go see this movie. Anyway, just in case, spoiler alert, this movie is so trash. I, The dialogue, the editing, the just the way the story progresses, the, the lack of action – there, it, I'm trying to figure out where do I start here. There's a moment. There's a moment in the movie where there's a moment where Madam Webb like almost dies. She almost drowns. She gets saved by Ben Parker. Yes, Uncle Ben. She gets saved by Adam Scott as Uncle Ben. And he says, hey, you almost died. You should go see a doctor. She looks him dead in the eyes and said, oh, no, I'm fine. I just want to go home and watch Idol. And there's an awkward pause after she says it. It was almost like like a Family Guy cutaway. Like I felt like it was supposed to be a Family Guy cutaway in that moment. Not to mention, like, bro, we've all memed the line that she says in the trailer that they ended up taking out like it was going to make the movie any better. Where she says, my mom was, he was with my mom in the Amazon studying spiders when she died. Okay. But. That, it goes further than that. In the first five minutes of the movie, I knew it was going to be shit. How did I knew it was going to be shit? Because after she gets shot, when she dies, freaking spider people, like spider monkey people in Spider-Man suits, like legitimately they're in Spider-Man suits, jump out of the trees, grab her, like snatch up her mom, and they start like like skywalking on the trees like super quick. Like it, it's It's hard to explain. It's even harder to experience. <laughs> and that's when I was like, this is going to be so trash. And it just knocked it out. Oh, my God. At one point in the movie, she says, why do you hate me? And that was exactly what I was thinking to myself in that moment. I wasn't with it. I wasn't with it. Again, editing choices, like random. I'm going I'm to I'm do this effect. I'm going to do this effect in post. But random zoom ins on the face during conversation. I was not. Mm. It was like TikTok editing. You know that thing that TikTok people do when they really want to emphasize a word? They zoom in on their face really fast. 
That's what the movie was doing. And it was like in one scene, it kept the camera kept cutting back and forth between these two characters having a conversation. And every time it landed on a new person, zoom in, zoom in, zoom in. Why not just start the shot like already on their face? Like if you're trying to be disoriented, if you're trying to make it feel disorienting, congratulations, you did your job, but not the way that people like it. So it's it's just bad guy is so generic. He's only running around saying like, I got to kill them before they kill me. Blah. He has a lot of money. He talks about how he came from nowhere, but he doesn't elaborate on what he does. I have no idea what this bad guy does. I have no idea what, I have no idea. I have, I don't know anything about him. All I know is that he took a spider and shot Cassie's mom. That's it. That's, that's it. And somehow he got rich. Somehow he has resources to do these things, to kill these girls. What is he going to do after he kills these girls? I don't know. Why did they kill him in the first place? I don't why does he have a Spider-Man suit? Why do you have a Spider-Man suit, my guy? Like, there's no explanation for anything. And then there's a moment where he, like, like she sees into the future, and he's, like, beating these girls up and killing them in his regular clothes. He shows up on the train in his regular clothes. The, he sees the girls get off the train. Next thing you know, he gets off the train, but now he's all of a sudden in a Spider-Man suit, climbing upside down on the wall. I'm like, wait a minute, where, what time did... This was five seconds ago, like legitimately five seconds ago, and not like movie time. In real time, y'all got off, and then you looked up. He's there in his Spider-Man suit, crawling. What are the problems? Okay, I, I can go on about this all day, but Madam Web definitely is one of the worst movies that I've ever seen. Now, it is one of those like movies that you could watch with friends and laugh, because I will tell you, I did have a good time laughing with my buddies Cinema Joe and Jay Stoops. We were cracking up that whole movie. Yeah, it just I'm grateful for movies like this because it does prove that like even though you get invited to a red carpet premiere, sometimes the movie is just not good and you got to let the people know. And like that doesn't deter you from going. It's just, hey, you got to do better next time. But so Sony, Madam Web, like do better next time. That's all. That's all I got to say. I'm not going to spend my time just completely pooping on this movie. It's just my public forum. Right. This is my podcast. I feel like I can just do that. You know, just just let me do that. Anyway, so Madam Web, one of the worst things I've ever seen. Now, just yesterday, I watched Avatar The Last Airbender, the live action adaptation from Netflix. And I just want to run y'all through just like, this is one of the best days ever. This is one of the best days ever. Obviously, people have been having like a lot of like apprehension towards this series because, you know, they're taking out key elements like Sokka needs to be sexist. Aang isn't as goofy. Like he's not like goofing off at the island and stuff like that. Like the, the creators walked out, even though that was old news when, you know, like six months after the show was greenlit, they walked out a long time ago. But people use anything to kind of like find something to hate on with this thing. Now, I already, like, had some faith going into this because the One Piece live action was really good. I hear the Yu Yu Hakusho live action was pretty good. So it seems like Netflix was, they're doing their thing. They're doing their thing when it comes to live action. They learn. They know, how to, they know how to do it. They know the creators to get. They know who to get involved. And it seems like they're doing their thing. So I had hope for this one, especially after the trailer. Um, you know, some people say, like, the special effects wasn't all there. The special effects aren't always there when it comes to the trailer. So, again, hold now hope. But... Walking you through like my red carpet experience, man. Like it's a Netflix event. So <laughs> the fact that I was rubbing shoulders with not just the cast of Avatar The Last Airbender, that's great, but you also have the OG cast. We're talking to Kelly Joe Murphy, who played Toph. We were talking Dante Bosco, who played Zuko. And these are friends of mine. So we're just like kind of hanging out, super excited. We're super nerds about this. We're super into it. 
And we're hanging out, and I see Anaki Godoy and Jacob, who plays Usopp and Luffy, respectively. It's, bro, I saw the live-action Luffy and Usopp in the flesh. And the best part about this was, was that Anaki knew exactly who I was. He walked up to me and was like, oh, my God, Straw Hat Goofy, it's so great to meet you. And I, I lost it. I lost it internally, of course. Like, I kept my cool in his face. But obviously, like, I had to tell him just how great he did as Luffy. I had told uh, Jacob as well, like, the love they have for One Piece is just so good to see because as a super fan myself, you guys know me, I'm a super fan of this. Like, seeing people who genuinely care about that property is really great. And the fact that we sat there and we talked about One Piece for maybe, like, 15, 20 minutes, like, enthusiastically, too. The only reason why we stopped is because there was a line for me to take pictures of him and me. So it was, like, a whole thing. But man, it was it was it was great. So like meeting them, that was really cool. I met Arian, who plays Grover and Percy Jackson in the Olympians. And as you guys know from the Walker Scoble episode, we talked about him in the Spider-Man India. So I brought that up to him. He said he watched my stuff for a while too. He's a really great guy. And like we talked about getting him on the podcast soon. So look out for that. Shout out to Arian, man. Uh but yeah, just like being on that carpet, like, you know, from one of the things that I grew up with as a kid, like I was pumped i was excited right so full transparency i was very like high on the thing before like actually going to see it but even if i had not gone through all of that if i had just got a screener and watched this at home or if it was just like one of those turned down screenings where you get like one thing of popcorn and a water it still would have blew my mind like to be honest like what i loved about this first episode because they only showed us one was that it gives us an expansion of the stuff that we already know Right. It doesn't it gives us things that we don't see in the animation and it does it in a way that the animation can't do, which is get more brutal with it. I saw a firebender unalive somebody with fire and it looks exactly like how it's supposed to look. My mouth dropped. I was like, oh, okay, this is the type of show we're dealing with now. And that was that that was my eye. That was the thing that got me into the actual like show. Right. That's what like because I know a lot of people are apprehensive and I feel like they think like, oh, it's going to be a one for one and they're going to fail at doing the one for one thing. No, those first five to ten minutes will let you know exactly the stakes that you're dealing with, the tone that this is going to strike. And if you're OK with that, you keep going. If you're not, then you can put it down. And I feel like they did that on purpose. Right. But I feel like that was something that definitely made me say I'm into this world. I'm going in, man. Like I'm, I'm really with it. So and then so after that, with with that context, I understood where Aang was coming from because there's little slight tweaks to like why he was like out in the storm and got in the water in the first place, right? Little stuff that explains why he is the way he is. So that way you're just not, oh, what, why isn't he like goofy and happy and da, da, da. So you know, all the characters feel like their characters, just more epic, uh, you know, bigger versions of these characters, if that makes sense. Sokka still feels like Sokka, but they're really emphasizing the fact that he's the man in charge at a very young age who had to grow up very quickly without his father. They hype in on that. Uh, they really harp in on Aang, like, like knowing full well what was happening and then having that regret, right? And then, like, coming to terms with, you got to grow up fast as well, which, again, I made this video on TikTok. Like, these are child soldiers. They're children. So, like, the theme of like having to grow up really fast and like the loss of innocence is completely there. It's just not done in a goofy way. That's not to say that there's no goofy or fun moments within the first episode. There are, there's moments where a lot of people were laughing for sure. But since this is like a giant Epic, which is what I think they meant by like comparing it to game of Thrones and stuff like that is because this is a huge world. 
with huge nations and huge things. Like one line, and I, again, not going to get into like big spoilers, but one line is like when one of the characters says, nobody goes to other nations anymore. Where Aang grew up and he used to, you know, visit his buddy Kuzan in the Fire Nation and Boomy in the Earth Kingdom. Like this is now a time where everyone is absolutely divided. And like they said, you only look after your own kind. And the job of the Avatar is to keep the balance, right? Unite everybody. So like the fact that they're like putting that type of stuff in there and really harping in on those themes, I really liked that from the live action. And I thought that was like really, really dope. Uh, but yeah, so the One Piece live action episode one starts off really strong. It's a very, very strong start. It remains to be seen what the other episodes are, what the pacing is going to be like. I feel like the first episode one pacing is phenomenal. I wasn't bored. I did, wasn't even falling asleep. And even if a movie that I like or whatever, I start to fall asleep. I wasn't falling asleep here. I was I was completely locked in. Uh, but yeah, that was Avatar The Last Airbender, and it was great. And I really hope that you guys uh, check that out and give like your honest opinions on it. And just, like, you know, keep your mind open. Like, we don't need, like, shot-for-shot live-action recreations because then, it, at that point, what's the point? You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Juju Green, a.k.a. Straw Hat Goofy. I'm here with Fernando Marcus Green, director of Bob Marley One Love. How are you doing? I'm this doing sir? great, man. You doing Thank all right? You. Yep. So, yeah, how do you feel being in L.A.? I was actually with uh, Kingsley okay. in London uh, doing the junket over there. Okay. And it wasn't as rainy over there as it is here. Yeah, I know. It's like everything. <laughs> I think Kingsley brought the rain. It's uh, all his fault. Okay. <laughs> okay. We can blame him later on today. I see how that goes. Yeah. So I, w- I really want to start this off because the name of my podcast is Get Wrecked. And I feel like when it comes to movies and film, they kind of like make who we are, especially people like you and me, director, movie lover, right? Like, I really want to know, what is that one movie that you saw and it just kind of altered your brain chemistry and it kind of like made the building blocks to who you are? Uh, Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Uh, Thing. Oh, Spike Lee. For sure. It was on loop in my house. My dad needed TV to fall asleep and Mm -hmm. do the right thing. Mookie was always on. (laughs) Number 42, um, my high school number, my high school jersey. That movie changed my life, changed my brother's life. Both of us filmmakers, so kudos to Spike. Yeah, man, I remember first seeing that film and it blew me away as well. Yeah. Especially during, like, you know, just the rising tension in that movie with the heat and the character interactions yeah. and everything. Uh, really quick, what w- what sport did you play? You said your jersey number. Base- baseball was my main sport. I played okay. high school football, but baseball was the okay. sport I played my whole life. It's basketball, so okay. I thought we have the same last name. So I was like, if we were both oh, playing green, basketball, you, go. you know green, what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wish. My dad didn't let me play basketball because I was mm. a baseball player and he thought I'd hurt my fingers. Oh, wow. So okay. a lot of those basketball players, fingers all jacked. All Especially if you're playing baseball, so you're, you're going to need like, those, nah, right? Like, nah, I, I get, get you. you. <laughs> I get you. All right, well, when it comes to this movie, I think it's very interesting how you also directed King Richard, mm-hmm. right? Uh, a couple of great performances, Oscar-nominated performances. You were also nominated yeah. for Best Picture. Uh, with Bob Marley, One Love, I saw the film. A yeah. couple of great Oscar-worthy performances in this one while yeah. also getting input from like the real-life family members of the subjects that you're talking about. Yeah. Can you talk to me about the difference between like you know doing something like King Richard, consulting with Venus and Serena, yeah. and then Ziggy with Bob Marley, One Love? Yeah, we have the inverse challenge here. Mm. Uh, King, you know, King Richard was Will Smith, yeah. megastar, playing someone that not a lot of people know unless you're in the tennis world. Mm-hmm. Here, Kingsley Benadire, we're introducing sort of a you know a new star to the world, playing someone that everybody knows, right. Bob Marley. Right. And so that was a challenge because you know the bar was so high for for what people know about Bob. Mm-hmm. He's on every T-shirt, every button, every bag, yeah. and every cafe around the world. So how do yeah. you? How do you do it? You need to find somebody. <laughs> so it's a lot of magic that went into into the performance, into the film, mm-hmm. um, to bring the essence of Bob 
right. uh, to the to the big screen, and I, Kingsley does a tremendous job in our film. He absolutely does. I was blown away. We talked yeah. about like his accent, yeah. everything he had to go through, like you know, talking to Ziggy and his friends, mm-hmm. like how did he speak yeah. and things like that. I'm also curious because you already mentioned it. You know, Bob Marley is a larger than life figure. Everybody knows who he is. But what was really interesting, what Kingsley said was that he said he didn't really know Bob until he started doing the work, yeah. right? Uh, I'm curious to know what was your kind of like first interactions with Bob Marley? Mine, like I grew up in Compton where the swap meets yeah. were. So like I just saw Bob Marley paraphernalia, yeah. and like the shirts and everything. Yeah. Uh, and that's like who Bob Marley was to me. That yeah. and a lot of weed. <laughs> yeah. you know, for, for so many men, I mean, look, I think it was on my birth certificate. My father named me Ronaldo Marcus Green after Marcus Garvey. That mm. wasn't an accident. Mm. Um, he named my brother after Che Guevara. So he was a revolutionary. Bob was always on in the house. Um, it was just something that was always around. Now, little did I know we were going to be making a movie. About <laughs> yeah, the man, but, yeah. uh, but I didn't know that much. I think Kingsley's right. N- it's impossible to know that much about the man. He, there's an enigma about Bob, a mystery about him. Still, even right. after this movie, right? You know, we was just trying to get trying to get an insight into who he was and what made him tick. Mm-hmm. And I think we captured something, and, and and that was yeah unique and special about the film. Yo, great. Well, what was your favorite part, like, of diving into Bob Marley? Was there something you were really eager to like really get into and kind of like learn about as you were making this film? I think it was all the things that I didn't know about him. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to figure out what that was. Mm-hmm. And I think learning about Rita Marley was a big way into Bob's story for me, mm-hmm. um, that she was the one that taught him about Rastafarianism. I didn't know that. So yeah. I was like, oh, okay, like, that's interesting. That's mm-hmm. new. That's something that I think the world would be interested in, mm-hmm. um, you know, and because that's one of the single most important moments in Bob's life, right. giving him a spiritual foundation right. for all of his music, his message. Uh, it's like, that's such a revelation for me. Um, their unconventional relationship, their unconventional courtship. It's like a min- it's a love story, right? And and that was new. I didn't know that, you know. Yeah. And 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 just how hard Bob worked. Like there's something so chill about him. Yeah. He's relaxed. His music's relaxed. It's yeah. feel good. My man was on a mission. When it came to the music, he was football. Like, from the film, you could tell he was in it. Like he it was, was almost like a Mamba mentality. Like he way was he approached in it. Ex- that's exactly Mamba mentality. Yeah. He he worked relentlessly. He was militant about it. They said he didn't sleep. My mm. man rested his eyes. <laughs> like, that's incredible. What do you mean you don't sleep? Like, like well, I'm, you know, it's like, I'm tired after like two minutes. He's right, just like, right. he just had it, man. He had it. And mm. I think he just felt like there wasn't enough time. He had to use his time. I, I think he had, they said he had visions of the shooting. Right. He knew something that we didn't know. And he knew he, he had to get it out. I mean, with people uh, like that, yeah, you know, you can you can just tell that there's something about them that, like, you know, they have a second sense, like a, a sixth sense of knowing, like, where the trends in the world are going. So, like, I, I was really happy seeing you guys capture that moment in the movie where he says, like, hey, the people are going to need yeah, this. Yeah. You know, I think there's a line in the movie where he says, they don't have to like it, they just need to hear it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that just really made me go, wow, like, this man really was different when yeah. it came to his music and yeah. connected with the people. Absolutely. Uh, I really like how this movie called One Love, A Man About Peace and Love in the World, the movie's coming out on Valentine's Day. Yeah. And I find that very, very clever, but also very interesting that, you know, I believe this movie took a while just to get made. Was, like, Valentine's Day always the date you were going for, or was it Not just a all. nice coincidence? Not at all. It's, it's a coincidence. The universe is working in mysterious ways. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it does. I think they tried to make this movie 25, 30 years. I heard, mm-hmm. I heard Scorsese's name. I heard... Wow. Oliver Stone and I'm like these are some of my favorite filmmakers that mm. couldn't get it, that couldn't get it made. Well, what what happened? 
it just wasn't their time. It was my time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So exactly, thank yeah. you guys for <laughs> allowing some space for your brother to come in hey, and, and, hey. And, and take the ball and run with it. But um, no, but in all seriousness, it just was on it was time was on my side for this yeah. one. I mean, Martin, you have Killers of the Flower Moon. It's, you know, so <laughs> yeah, you can you have got, that you one. Got, you got that one. Look, you got this you're one. one of my favorite filmmakers, Martin, so uh, hopefully we'll chop it up one day. Yes, that's really great. I, I really love how you take these, like, real-life figures, whether it's, you know, Richard Williams, who's, like, a little lesser known, but then Bob Marley, who's, like, way bigger. Is there any other, like, real-life figures that you would be eager to kind of, you know, get behind the camera on and tell their story? Man, there's so many. There's so <laughs> many. I, I don't think about biopics. It's not something how I've ever approached my filmmaking. They're just always they're started from stories. Right. Bob Marley is an incredible story. A mm -hmm. kid who grew up poor, homeless, mm -hmm. without, with an absentee father in the streets of Trenchtown. He's not supposed to be mm -hmm. one of the greatest to ever do it. The, the odds are stacked against that kid. Yeah. Like, that's just a great story. And Absolutely. Like, like, biopic, no biopic. That would just be a great story. So mm -hmm. what I'm looking for are great stories that uplift us as a community, um, elevate us as a people, okay. and, and are saying something, man. Are, uh, movies should say something. That's awesome, man. Uh, and that's a story, like, I feel like, you know, as a guy living in Compton, I'm yeah. like, I hope someone will tell my story like that. When it's one day, baby. One, one day, day, you know, maybe you, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But uh, another thing that I wanted to ask, a very simple question. I feel like you've gotten this question a lot during this whole press tour, especially when we talk about Bob Marley. What is your favorite Bob Marley track? It's so hard, but yeah, Redemption Song is the, is the one that keeps coming back. And mm. I think in particular with this film, it felt like a thesis in some way, a through mm. line. It was a became an organizing principle for this film. Bob's, um, it felt like Bob had to redeem himself from something. He had to learn to love himself. Mm. And that song kind of captured that for me. And so, yeah, it just has a deep emotional resonance. I love that song. Yeah. I love his message. And yeah, that one that one hits the heart every time. That's great, man. My mind, I will have to say, like, uh, Woman Don't Cry. Oh, yeah, yeah, Woman, yeah, yeah. I love hits. how you got that in the film. It hits, man. It hits. It hits. It hits. It hits. <laughs> for sure. There was a... Uh, I was at a San Diego Comic-Con, I think it was two years ago now, mm. and uh, Ryan Coogler was unveiling the trailer for Black Panther, okay. and that's one of the greatest trailers I ever saw in my life, because yeah. it makes great use of like a cover mm. of that song, yes. and it, you know, especially at the time, you know, Chadwick Boseman passing, yeah. as well as just kind of like, you know, adding in the Kendrick-like elements yeah. to it, it just sticks right here, like it's one of those moments that will like stay with me, mm. and it took me a minute to like realize, oh wait, that's a Bob, that's a Bob track. That's a Bob track. You know, that's and like, w even when it comes to superhero films or whatever, like yeah. Bob just has that emotion. Yes, what yeah. he was singing for, man, what he was singing from. Mm -hmm. I think he just, he, he, he had the, the message of the people, man, the hearts of ah, the people. Absolutely. He was for the people, and people know that, it's real. Yeah. Bob yeah. was real, man, <laughs> um, amazing. One of the realest to ever do it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much. Pleasure, man, I really appreciate okay. that.